praise the Lord. Praise the Lord and praise the Lord again. It's good to come your way once again with another episode. Um, this time we are looking at Queen Vashti. We are looking at the story of Vashti, which I believe most of you are acquainted with. So we go to Esther chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus which reigned from India, even unto Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days when the king sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the palace or the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all the, his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty, many days, even an hundred and four score days. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan, the palace, both great, both unto great and small, even seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And then it goes on to describe all the furnishing. We'll skip that. Nine, also Vashti. Other people say Vashti. I'm more comfortable with the Vashti. Vashti, the queen, made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bista, Habona, Bikfa, Abakfa, Zephar, the Shalavthar, and Karkas, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king. Verse 11, what were they sent to do? To bring Vashti the queen before the king with the royal crown to show the people and the princess her beauty, for she was fair to look on. Verse 12, but the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth and his anger burned in him. Then the king said to the wise men which knew the times, for so was the king's manner towards all that knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was Kashena, Setha, Admata, Tarshish, Meris, Masena, Memucan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat the first in the kingdom. What shall we do unto the Queen Vashti according to law? Because she has not performed the commandment of the King Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. And Memucan answered before the king and the princess, Vashti the queen has not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in all the provinces of the King Ahasuerus. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes, when it shall be reported 
the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen. Thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. And the saying pleased the king and the princess, and the king did according to the word of Memucan. For he sent letters into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So today we want to look at Vashti. I know a lot of people question the whole issue of Vashti. And it was a passage that I also thought about a lot. I prayed, I questioned the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if we don't get anything, we should go to the Holy Spirit. He is, he is to be our teacher, the one who is to explain things to us, bring things to our remembrance, and show us whatever we are to do. So that is what I did. But is it fair that Vashti should be removed as queen or banished? from the king's presence. And this is where I want us to look at the issue of submission, which has become a very, very abused word. The women chafe at it. They are angry when they hear the word because they know that submission has become a big chain around their necks is been used against them, is people have been treated unfairly, subjected to all manner of horrors as wives or women. And even in the church, you would expect that things would be different. But to a large extent, the story is not very different in the church, which is supposed to be the pillar and the ground of truth. What? Is all this submission matter about? And what should have Fashti have done? Because according to history, the Bible doesn't give us much detail, but according to history, what the king was asking the queen to do was actually against the norm and the custom. And some believe that she was supposed to come there, not in her royal robes as the queen, but she was to come there scantily clad with the crown on her head so that they can stare, look at her, she's beautiful. Like come and display her beauty. And for the modest dressing of the Easterners who are mostly veiled and fully robed, 
it was as good as being asked to strip naked. And please notice that at this particular feast, it wasn't even the feast for the nobles and the princes. It was the general feast for the general population. We see this in the verse 5. So the 180 days were for the noble, the army commanders. But the verse 5 says, And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in the capital, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. So it was not even in the inner court, it's in the gardens, outside. And so, but, and the Bible says that on the very last day of those seven days, the king has had so much to drink, he's tipsy, he's merry. And then he gives a very interesting command, which is wrong, which was unfair to Vashti. So why would the counselors, when the king referred the matter to them, why would they take such a draconian stance against the queen Vashti? I've seen certain commentaries where they said that it's possible that they had issues with the queen, that things were not very fine between them and the queen. There may be issues that they were looking for opportunity to, to deal with the queen and show her where power lies. We don't know about that. But it's very tempting to assume that because of the reckless abandon with which they took the decision. They did not consider the fact that the king was tipsy, he had been having too much to drink. They didn't even think of the fact that the king's request was not fair to her, was not right. And this is where I want to call the attention of everyone, especially women. Where do you draw the line between submission, that is obedience, and decorum, and the proprietary, and all the other words. What should Vashti have done? Was, was it right that she should refuse to go and go and expose herself to the general public to see, and maybe there'll be catcalls, whistlings, and leerings, and was she right in refusing to expose herself, whether it's an indecent exposure or not. But let's assume that it is because the instruction was wrong, it was abhorrent, and not so much because of pride. Because even the counselors, they said that they feared, like if anybody says, if it goes around that the king ordered the queen, gave the queen instructions publicly and she refused to comply, then that will become like anybody, wives who say that, oh, wow, if the queen can even defy the king and get away with it, then we can also do the same. So that was the premise on which they took the decision against her to banish her. But what I find very interesting is the fact that the king did not consider Vashti in terms as husband and wife. He made 
he, the king made the matter a constitutional matter. King Ahasuerus did not deal with this matter as being between a husband and his wife. Because if it is as a husband, then it's very strange that you want your wife to come and expose herself to the whole public. It was a very difficult thing for Vashti. The king chose to treat the matter as a constitutional one. Number one, he sent the chamberlains, and he felt that that was an honor. He sent all his personal you know, servants to go get the queen. So it was going to be like a procession in. Number two, he felt that the command was given in public. Maybe they made an announcement that now, ladies and gentlemen, you will be surprised at what is next, how we are rounding off this feast. Because they said it was the last day. How we are rounding up all these seven days of feasting, the queen of the kingdom is coming to show her as a beauty. And she may have been surprised at, can you imagine people are drunk, the riotous, very, very demeaning environment and what she was being asked to do. And she refused to do it. So looking at it as between husband and wife, she, she's, it seems like she's right, right? That she was even sensible, she was wise. But is there a but to it? I believe there is a but to it. How do you avoid becoming a victim like Vashti was? Especially to ladies or women who are married to very high profile men maybe heads of state corporators you know people who have very high position who have authority this is what should vashti should have done now the man holds a rod of authority that issues commands the woman rose holds a rod of authority that uses supplications and lobbying. This is the order that God established in Eden. They both have equal authority before God, but the expression of that authority is very different. The man issues commands. The woman uses supplications. Hallelujah. So this is something that we should know that it is, when you read scripture closely, the entirety of scripture gives you this kind of conclusion. The woman's authority is in her ability to influence. And influence is always through supplications and lobbying. The man's authority is expressed through commands. So. In Proverbs, you see, listen to your mother's teachings, your father's law, listen to, are you getting it? Nobody silences the mother. When Proverbs is talking about parents, he talks about both the mother and the father. He talks about wives, he talks about husbands, he talks about women, he talks about men. But you notice in Proverbs that the woman is often personified as, or wisdom is often personified as a woman. Why this? 
It is because the voice of wisdom, which is not the voice of command, but the voice of supplication and of lobbying, fits the office of the woman. That you cannot force things down people's throat, command it and insist, but you use supplications. And before God, the two have equal strength and authority. So this is what I want us ladies to note. Now, God has not asked the woman to subjugate the man under him, as like in Eden, but under the New Testament, no. The woman is commanded by God to make herself secondary to the man. God does not say the woman is secondary to the man. He said, make yourself. He says, submit. It's a verb. It's a command. Do it. You make yourself secondary. So it's a deliberate, conscious act of the will. And you'll be judged for it. You'll be judged for it. God did not tell the man quite contrary to Eden to make the woman submit to him or obey him. Are you with me? In the New Testament, it's a very different thing. She's commanded by God to do that. And the man is also commanded by God to love. And we know that the man being the head, the head always thinks the idea before the legs and feet, the body follows. So one would imagine that in God's, in God's law, or be, let me put it this way, God expects that the man take the lead by loving. How do I know? If the man is the head, which is Christ is the head of the church, which is the body, and the man is the head of the body, then the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And we submit to Christ out of gratitude for his love and all that he does for us. So God has made it very plain and obvious to us that he is not, as, he is not saying that a woman should be maltreated, she should be subjugated, she should be treated badly. That is not what God means by submission. What God means by submission is that you voluntarily, out of respect for God, because he says to do it, you make yourself secondary to the man. Amen. So you prefer him ahead of yourself. And it's a general commandment to every Christian. Ephesians 5.21 says, be subject, submit one another to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Christ being the head of the church, the church being the body of Christ, which is the office of the woman, the same commandment. It's not something that is tailored for women to oppress women. Do you get it? It's not a commandment that is specifically tailored for women in order to oppress women. No. When we take the grand picture of Christ being the head, the church being his body, and compare it to the small picture of the man being the head as Batman, the woman, the wife being the body, the helper. It's the same commandment. The church is to submit to Christ. The wife submits to the husband. So it wasn't tailored at women. It's a hierarchical thing in the spirit realm that is being brought out into the natural realm. Hallelujah. And in that hierarchy, the head is supposed to love. And the man's 
the man's commandment is even more stringent and more difficult than the woman's. You are supposed to love until death, and love doesn't oppress. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, God takes his time to define love and his dynamics to us. He said, love endures all things, love suffers long, love forgives, love honors, and prefers ahead of self. So how can the God who says the man is to love, even as Christ loved, to the extent of dying, being ready to die for the woman? How can the same God could, would have meant submission to be slavery, oppression, and subjugation? Obviously, there's something wrong somewhere. We have not interpreted and defined submission according to the spirit of the Bible. Amen. So a lot of women are confused, like, why would God do this? Are we of less value than the man? No. The fault is from wrong interpretation. And why would God say the woman should defer to the man? It is because of the creational account in Genesis. So Genesis, like I told you in other messages, is the roadmap for a lot of other things in the Bible. When you go to a very troublesome passage, like 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Do we look at it? Verse, let's start at verse 12. Let's see. Good. Look at this. Paul is giving instructions to the church about leadership. Verse 12. Let's, let's, let's start at verse 11. He said, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Notice that he didn't say women. But so in this context, it can be let the wife learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Verse 13, Paul is very specific on what he's referring to. He gives us the spirit of this commandment or instruction that is given to the church. Paul gives us where he's coming from. He puts it within a context, and Paul appeals to the creational order. Look at verse 13. It's very interesting. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul says, I am saying in the church, the woman should defer to the man in authority because of the creational account. Then Adam was formed first. Adam is senior. The man is senior to the woman in terms of Let's say that you and your older brother. He says, this is the context in which I want to place this submission thing. So if that is it, if there's a marriage that the woman is older than the man, does it apply? He's applying not to the order of birth. He's applying to the order of creation. So whether the woman is older than the husband or not, the creational account says the man was created first. He says, so Paul is telling you the context with which he, within which he's saying this. He said, for Adam, because Adam was formed first, then Eve. It means man is older than woman in terms of creation. Number two, 
He said, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Number two, he's saying that it was woman's disobedience that led to the fall of creation. Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying that the woman was deceived. He's saying that Satan has targeted the woman, particularly targeted the woman. So what is Paul suggesting, implying from this? He's saying that shield the woman from the attack of Satan by not projecting her forward. Don't let it, her take the onslaught of satanic hatred and attack. Don't make women the target for attack. And Paul believes that if the woman is giving the backbench or she's not put forward, like leadership doesn't hinge, hang on the woman, then it's like leadership should be the prerogative of men. He did not forbid that a woman should ever become a leader. He says, I don't allow. I don't, but I suffer not. I don't allow. He doesn't say, I forbid. Now, look at the context within which Paul puts it. For Adam was formed first. So Paul is not saying that, oh, it's because the, 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 the women are bad. Are you getting it? He's not saying women are loud, women are silly, women are unreliable, women are emotional. He says, no. He said, I'm appealing to God's creational order, that God created the male first before the female. So let's give the man that honor, because from what God has done, I, we be, again getting the impression that the man is supposed to be the leader. Are you getting his order? So the order leads. The next thing he says, in the garden, Satan targeted the woman. For the woman was the one that was deceived and fell into transgression. And we know that Satan is the enemy of God. And because mankind was created in the image and likeness of God, Satan headed for mankind and tried to destroy man. So he says, because Satan has targeted women, I wish you wouldn't put them at the battlefront to take the brunt of the assault. So now we come back to the issue of submission. So Paul says, because of that, I wish that you, I, I do not allow women to be put at the forefront of leadership in the church, because he knows it is war zone. He knows it is war zone. It's not easy. You are subject to attack. It is a place of high responsibility with attendant demonic and satanic warfare. Not because women are not equipped by the Holy Spirit for that. Paul believes that the man should be exposed to that and not the woman. And I feel that genuinely in Paul's heart, it was, he felt it was an act of honor or protection. But unfortunately, this has been misconstrued. How do I know? I know because Paul puts what he's saying within the context of creation and temptation. Hallelujah. So we come back to Vashti. So what should Vashti have done? We have an example of what Vashti should have done from the example of Abraham and Sarah. So we go there and look at it. Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis, Abraham gets to the promised land 
and there is famine there. And so he immediately relocates to Egypt. He goes there for a while till the famine is over. Whilst they are approaching Egypt, he asks a favor of Sarah. It's an unreasonable request that when they get to Egypt, if anyone inquires as to her relationship to him, she should tell them that she is his sister. And he, Abraham, was also going to say that Sarah was not his wife, but his sister. Why? If the, if the Egyptians see that you are beautiful, they would have, the, the most beautiful women are for Pharaoh. And if she's already married, then Egyptian reasoning is that, let's make her a widow, because till death do us part. Let's make her a widow so that she can become the king's wife or the wife of whoever wants her that badly. So they would kill the husband. Sometimes they can challenge you to a duel or they can, they find ways of getting rid of the man because they know enough that as long as the husband is alive, you cannot touch her. For them, it was taboo to sleep with one, somebody's wife, but it was not taboo for them to kill a husband in order to get his wife. Very strange, very, very strange reasoning. But you see, when you don't have the spirit of God, very silly and nasty things look very correct to you. A conscience devoid of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is a monster. Watch out. So Abraham asked this favor of Sarah. The Sarah said, oh, here goes the great man of God. Are we saying, therefore, that if a husband, who is a man of God, any husband, asks a wife to do wrong, for his sake she should do it? No. But this was a situation where it was a life and death matter. If she didn't say so, she was going, the man was going to be killed for no wrong that he has done. It's different if your husband has committed a serious offense, he has stolen state funds, or he has done something wrong, he has committed murder, and he's supposed to be punished, and he asks you to lie on his behalf. That's not what we are saying. We are talking about a culture of violence, where that man would have been killed for no crime, for no offense, just because somebody wants you as his wife. And he says that, do me this favor. Besides what he was asking her to do, Sarah was actually Abraham's half-sister. But you know, the marriage takes precedence over their blood ties. The Bible hardly refers to Sarah as Abraham's sister. In fact, if this incident hadn't happened, we would never even have known that Sarah was actually Abraham's half-sister. So that is not the point. The point is that there was an element of, there was a fact in it, but it's not the truth. Because you didn't take her to Egypt. She's not following you as a sister. She's actually following you as a wife, you have changed the situation. She's no longer your sister, she's now your wife. So if you consider all this, it was a lie. Why would Sarah uh, accept to say that she's Abraham's sister? It was to spare his life. She says, spare my life, let my life be precious. So she did him that favor. 
in this case, I believe that the Bible, even in the New Testament, Peter quotes it, that we should not fear to make ourselves sub-secondary to the man that will be more treated or, are you getting it? Peter said we should not be afraid to do that. Why? Because they take it for granted that the man will not do you harm. The man is supposed to love you. And the man is supposed to treat you as his own body. So why would you fear making yourself secondary and deferring to somebody who loves you enough to want to die for you? You are not afraid because you know he will not take advantage of you. But is that the situation we have now, even in the church? So we have taken very alien customs, dressed them with a few scriptures, and we are forcing it down the throat of the church that this is what God means by submission. But then back to Vashti. Yes, according to the, if you read the law, Vashti should have. We are now dealing strictly with Old Testament period. Vashti should have obeyed the king's command. Yes. Vashti should have obeyed the king's command. Then, the next thing Vashti would have done, immediately she has shown herself. Vashti should have thrown her hands on her head, uttered a cry. If she had any garment on, she should have ripped it because she has been dishonored publicly and her office has been debased, defiled, dishonored. And in doing that, the counsel that met against Vashti would have met in her favor. The question would have been, what does the law say about when the king oversteps his boundaries and humiliates the queen publicly as this king Ahasuerus has done? The council would have sat in Vashti's favor to find a way of punishing the king. It's not likely that he would have been dethroned, but it's possible that something terrible would have happened. And in which case, there would have been a, a proclamation concerning women that, oh, if your husband asks you to do so, so, and so, that would debase your office. I get you hold a public office that would bring you shame and dishonor. This is how the women should stand up. This law backs you. So Bashti lost the opportunity to have women enjoy greater freedom by not being willing to sacrifice for the common good. So sometimes, when certain instructions come, it may be an opportunity to, re to do greater good. I'm not saying the end justifies the means, no. In God's kingdom, there's nothing like that. Hear me, Christian. There's nothing like the end justifies the means in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, the means, the ends will only be acceptable if the means you use in acquiring it is acceptable. So in other words, your means is what will validate your ends in God's kingdom. But Vashti should have obeyed. Why? The voice of command was to be obeyed. And then the voice of supplication would have gotten redress for her. So I want women to take note of this. In two situations, when it is morally wrong, number two, when it is life-threatening, then God will back you to disobey. When the instruction is against God's commandments, because look at Peter. Peter and Co. faced the high priest, 
the counsel of the high priest, the Sahindrian, and say, judge for yourself whether we should obey God or you or man. So when it comes to a direct contra contravention or infraction on God's laws, the woman or the wife, please take note, it's not between women and men, it's between a man and his wife. Then the woman is not under any obligation to accept or to obey. Vashti did not refuse to go because of defiance. She refused to go because the instruction was abhorrent to her soul. But this is where she should have swallowed whatever, done it for the common good. And obviously, I know that she knew that there will be consequences, but maybe not as serious as was taken. Now, when you go to chapter 2, verse 1, we are told that the king began to regret what he had done. If it was constitutionally correct for him to do what he did, then the, he shouldn't have regretted. But because of the laws of the meat and the patience cannot be revoked, they had to spend so much state funds to look for another queen. The king began to regret what he had done to Vashti. So this is advice to men in authority. Vashti may, may have thought that the king will consider the fact that she's a wife, that maybe she was protecting the husband's honor in exposing, by not exposing herself because she knew the man was drunk and they may have been drunk. So she thought she could excuse that. Number two, she's a wife. But the king made the thing a constitutional case in order to save face before his guest. And now he's regretting it. So whilst you are exercising the, the authority that you think you have, remember that you are just man and that you also have a need. The almighty Ahasuerus is now regretting that he had banished Vashti. May God give us understanding into these things. That at the end of the day, Christ is not the one who flexes his muscle. Christ doesn't threaten. He's a meek Christ. So when you have power and authority, you don't threaten. You don't throw your power about. You don't threaten. You don't intimidate your subject. Because Jesus never intimidates the church. And for the church or wives, remember that you don't pitch your throne against that of the king. You don't pitch authorities. You don't pitch authorities. Remember that you don't have the voice of command. You have the voice of supplication. May the Lord grant us wisdom and authority. And I pray for women today that any wife that is being abused, battered, treated unfairly, particularly wives of men of God and of Christians, under the pretext of submission, Remember that Christ does not exercise authority through harshness and oppression. Christ uses the rod of love. I pray for you that God will comfort you, that the spirit of wisdom would give you counsel and show you the way out of your dilemma. You were named for life. The Bible says Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. May life answer for you. And may life begin to fight on your, anything called life, let it begin to fight for you. But if you are wrong, humble yourself and seek 
forgiveness, that there may be peace in your home. God bless you. Please don't forget to subscribe. And I believe that we are matured enough to accept the truth, that authority is not for, in God's kingdom. Headship is not lordship. It is leadership. And submission is not a disgrace. It's not slavery. It is an honor to Christ. God bless you. We'll come your way with another video. In the time being, don't forget to subscribe and see you. Amen. Mm -hmm.